generally I would not have ever delved as deep as I did into the fantasy football world and figured out that stuff. But when you're dealing with customers of all different kinds and shapes and sizes, you start finding out all kinds of things about things you never, ever thought you would care about. Welcome to Modern Work. I'm Katherine Conaway, and I talk to people about the work they do and how they got there. In this episode, I talk to my friend Taryn about her job and work in digital marketing. She has experience at Microsoft and at startups, and you get to hear all about it in this episode. I interviewed her over two years ago when we were working remotely and traveling together on a remote year. We spoke about her education, internships, work experience, and what marketing even is. We recently did a follow-up interview and talked about her new job working at a VR extended reality company, which you'll hear about later in this episode. For show notes, Taryn's bio and links, and more information, please visit modernworkpodcast.com. Hi. Hi. Would you like to introduce yourself? My name is Taryn Marcus. I am a digital marketing strategist for a startup based in Seattle. Uh, I was born in Johannesburg, South Africa, and... I am finishing up remote year, which is what I've been doing for the past year. Awesome. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, as Taryn mentioned, we've been on remote year together this year. We've actually been roommates twice here in Ho Chi Minh and also in Split. So before we get into the job that you do now, I kind of think it's interesting to go back into kind of how that got started. Uh, so you grew up in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And when you were like in high school and stuff like that, did you have some kind of strong academic interest or hobby or thing that you did a lot? Yeah, I was always super into business, even in high school. I ran like the student store. I was DECA vice president, um, which is like a business competition club um, during high school. And I competed. I think I won first in nationals for project marketing or something. I don't remember my exact category, but I did pretty well in that. So I've always kind of been interested in business. And your high school just happened to have clubs yeah. and programs. Yeah, we on. got really fortunate um, that we had a really strong business professor or teacher, but I was really close to him because I he was the uh, teacher advisor of the DECA club. And the DECA club is the business club. Yes, yeah. And so basically what the DECA club is, it's an organization is kind of like FBA, Future Business Leaders of America, or similar other groups like that, where you get together and you get put onto teams and you compete on business problems, whether it's like a store that's having inventory issues or uh, a management scenario where you have an HR situation that you have to deal with and kind of how would you deal with it? What's the process that you should generally go through? And then you would present your case and whatever team had the stronger case won. And this is something that like your club meetings outside of competition, you learn yeah. skills. So one of the bigger things is we as a club and also as part of the class, uh, the marketing class, were in charge of running the student store. And so a lot of the scenarios that we had to teach, whether it was HR or inventory or whatever it was, which are all kind of not that advanced business ideas, but they're all very relatable, we would teach through using the store. Through DECA, I became the one of the managers of the store and then got more involved in both DECA as vice president and then just continued on with the class. And that's kind of what 
grew my interest in business kind of moving forward. What was it that you liked about it? Um, the class was a lot, a lot of freedom. So having, there wasn't like a very strict cur- curriculum. It was just kind of like, here's this thing, figure out, figure out the problem of how to manage it basically, or figure out how to make it better. And I really liked the, the problem solving aspect of it and also the, the research part of it. So figuring out what sold, sold well, what people wanted in the store that currently wasn't in the store, talking to people, um, learning from past people that had been the managers of the store because each grade kind of passes it on to the next. And so learning, okay, this worked well, this didn't, like those kind of things were kind of really interesting. And you don't really get that a lot in like classes where you just have like, this is a math problem, now solve it. Right. Where you have a very exact process. This was, here's a problem, you can go 20 million different ways to solve it. And there's not necessarily a right way to do it. Mm-hmm. And so that was really appealing to me. And then also just having a level of leadership, I pretty quickly on kind of fell into roles where I was kind of leading different parts of the class or different parts of the club. But I didn't want to do like ASB wasn't interesting to me for some reason or other ones. But the business one was just kind of something that I naturally fell into mm. and kind of just kept going on with it. And had you like before you got involved in that in high school, like was that something that like growing up with your parents or like you did anything before that or you just it was taking the class as part of a normal curriculum that got you started? Yeah, I think I remember just reading the class descriptions when you like first got into high school. And this was one of the electives and that sounded kind of interesting and I didn't want to take art or whatever the other one was um, and it happened to fit my schedule. So it was kind of a easy fit that way. And then I've always kind of, even before when I was younger, I like ran a little like babysitting business where I would do like in-home nannying and then also like longer term babysitting things. And so that was kind of a little project that I managed and small things like that. And both my parents are really entrepreneurial and business focused. So just kind of, it's kind of something that I've always kind of been around. Yeah. Um, but the class really was a jumping off point to kind of and this is just a, a public high school yeah, in Seattle mm-hmm. area. Lake Washington High School. Lake Washington. Um, and then how did that, like, what, what were you looking for when you decided to go off to college? Like, how did you make that decision? What were you looking at? Um, I didn't want to go far. I, I, I liked the idea of going to a good school close. Um, so the University of Washington literally is a bridge apart from my parents. <laughs> so it was about a 20 minute ride, which isn't, was not far at all, but it seemed far enough with the bridge separating us. Um, and it was a good enough school. I always liked the campus a lot. And I did, I've done, I guess for me, it wasn't really about getting into a bunch of different schools. I only applied, I think to like three or four schools. Um, and I had a bunch of friends that applied to like seven or 10 or however many it was. I just kind of wanted to get into one and think it was a relatively good one. And UW fit that um, criteria for me. And so as soon as I could kind of check that off my list, that was kind of enough. Um, Were you looking at their business program or just the school overall? Uh, the business program was definitely, I that is what I wanted to study. I remember that it, reading about that it was one of the, like, the top ones in the state. Um, so that was obviously appealing. They also had just gotten a brand new, uh, building built, which was cool because the old one was awful. Um, so that was good to see that they were investing money into the program. And 
I had friends that were already already in it that were kind of giving a little bit of advice for it. But I don't know. For me, uh, college was always just kind of like the necessary next step, not like the uh, necessary step for my future. So I just kind of needed to get in somewhere. Mm -hmm. And then once I was in, I would do business no matter where I was. And that was kind of that. And how did you end up liking UW? And I loved it. Um, it was a, I got really fortunate in the housing situation that I was in where I initially rushed and very quickly on decided that that was not for me. There were too many girls, too much drama, too much nitpicking in my personal opinion. Um, so I decided to go a different route and just live in kind of community-based housing where people, I found an ad on Craigslist that they were missing one roommate. There were nine other people in the house, took a shot and was super fortunate to find some of the most amazing people I've ever met. And they also happened to be super diverse. So that was one of the things that I loved the most about it is I was living with music major, an electrical engineer, a nursing student, people from all different backgrounds and degrees. And most of the people that were I was in the business program with were living with other business students. Mm. And so you kind of stay in your bubble. You don't really experience the other parts of the school or have conversations that are other like on different topics. You just kind of talk about the same things. And yeah, that's so, one of those double-edged swords because in some ways it's really nice when you can like be around the same group of people because you have deeper relationships and you can talk about like that project in class like you have like oh let's like ground. let's brainstorm or like let's think about it in a different way over dinner and yeah that can be super cool but like we're increasingly saying that it, you don't really want to be in bubbles and too much is too much and you need like that diversity and whatever way that it's diverse yeah just having other opinions and other ages and other like perspectives and backgrounds like is so valuable and yeah you might miss some of the depth you can get with certain groups but you also get sides of things you'd never see and like that can help in business or whatever whatever you're studying and that was I mean that was the coolest thing is I still had obviously my friends in the business school but things would happen where I would be like studying in the living room and Jess would come down and be like, all right, I have to test all your blood, pr- blood pressures because I have a test tomorrow. And like, <laughs> I just have to be able to do that. And you're like, okay, like this isn't something that would normally just like be happening, but sure. You need help. Like totally. Or like, um, my roommate Cody would be studying a million different variety of plants and have like the no cards strewn all over the, our big like living room table and I'd be just listening to him, like, rattle off all these, like, random plant terms that I would never probably <laughs> learn or know. But because he was there studying, like, we had conversations about them. And, like, I don't know. I find those were those moments were almost more interesting than some of, like, the stuff that I was learning in classes. And the thing about business is it's such a – it's not really something you can learn in school because, one, the textbook definitions that you learn become irrelevant – months later or maybe even like right after you learn them it's also taking that definition and applying it to what you're actually doing is they're not really like one-to-one related um so you find yourself being like well i know theoretically what this is but like how to apply it Mm, that's a whole other ball game and like the nature of business is that it is applied to anything in any industry so 
yeah, like business is business, but right. like an actual business might sell flowers or an actual business sells like beauty products or an actual business sells medical devices and like uses computers. And so knowing about these things may actually Helps. be really relevant to the business that you're trying to run or manage. And that, yeah, that's something that like I definitely realized early on is the having the knowledge of like how to do the job was a lot more important than having the theoretical theories about the job. Um, And so doing things like internships and those kind of things were a lot more valuable to me than getting the great grades. Mm -hmm. So I was always an okay student. I could have been a much better student than I was, but I was really good at getting the internships and the other side of it because that's just kind of where I saw the value rather than being the A-plus student in the classroom. Yeah, what was your experience with internships in college? Um, I was really fortunate. I was able to get a really good um, initial job actually at my dad's company, um, K2, or I guess they were also called Source Code Workflow Software at that time. But um, they basically needed someone to do a bunch of project management for their partner alliance team that they were building where basically I was just managing a group of partners that they had pre-selected to get advanced content or to generate content with them that they would then give customers access to, whether or not it was webinars or um, case studies or trials, a bunch of different things. And so I got to get my hands on a lot of different things that I probably wouldn't have necessarily been able to do just from an internship role right in the beginning because it was more of a hardcore job. Was so that was, in school or over This summer? was in school. So while for my first two years at UW, I was working full-time or, yeah, it, I guess part-time, part-time from home on this job. Um, so you were already remote as, like, a freshman yeah, and sophomore yeah. in college. I didn't, I didn't think about it at the time, but, yeah, I was working a remote role and – um, I would have my like daily calls in with my boss, even though they were in Redmond, which is 25 minutes away, but I was at school and they were in the office. Um, and, but I was doing really cool things like running tutorial programs and, uh, getting to create different marketing strategies for the partner content and managing webinars and I don't know, getting access to different aspects of things that I wasn't learning about it in school. And I was getting, I was way more interested about doing those things and doing like the classroom assignments or whatever it was. And then eventually they had to bring someone on full time and I was still at school. So obviously I couldn't do the role. So they switched over to someone else and I then took up some work with Microsoft as an internship and worked for them for the last two years of college. And that, that Microsoft internship is because first of all, Microsoft just has their huge campus Mm -hmm. in Seattle and was that something that they like partner with UW and then the business school there kind of facilitates that? Or you just looked up on the website internships at Microsoft? Um, I mean, they definitely do partnership with UW. They're one of the biggest sponsors for the UW business school. But for me, it was more I through K2. I'd met a ton of Microsoft employees because they're one of their lead partners. Um, and at one point, someone was like, hey, we do have this internship program apply. I'm sure we'll find a role for you. And from there, I was kind of able to get into the, I actually worked on similar partner program stuff just on the Microsoft Microsoft side of it. 
And because I knew most of the customers already and most of the lingo and stuff, it was a pretty easy switch over. Now you're just not uh, getting paid. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Had a better company name, but less perks on the on the other <laughs> side of it. So what was um what was it? I assume Microsoft is significantly bigger than the K2 company. Massively, yeah. What was it like being in a, such a corporate environment where they have like an internship track and a, many, many departments? And um, That was definitely a learning experience for me. It's actually one of the reasons why now I try as hard as I can to work for smaller companies because at K2, I knew the CEO, I knew... If there was a problem or anything going on, I knew exactly who I needed to email and I knew, I could picture their face. Mm-hmm. At Microsoft, that is not the case. Like you are a little person with your orange badge on and you probably know five or 10 people by like name, at least to start with. And then you have to kind of figure out how to work in that ecosystem. And so that was definitely a whole other different challenge that, to have to like mentally think, okay, like how do I figure out who to talk to? Where's the right, what's the right process to go through? Because that's the other thing is in K2, if there was a problem that needed to get sorted out, you go to the direct person that would logically be able to solve that problem. Where Microsoft, because it has so many systems and so many processes, you go through the process to solve the problem and eventually get to the person that leads whatever it is to actually have that fix happen. And so learning that you can't just like bulldoze through and, and get it done was a, another like very aha kind of moment because it just seemed so like obvious at the time to go directly to the person. Um, but that's just not how big companies work. And if everyone did that, it would probably implode. So there probably is a reason that they need those systems in the first place. Definitely. Um, so that was interesting. And then... And you were in... I know you mentioned a little bit what the internship was, but this was in like a marketing department or kind of. What yeah. Was so it was in a marketing and uh, like corporate relationship department, I guess. Um, the, the main point of my job was just to help facilitate and grow Microsoft's partner alliance program. What is a partner alliance? Program? Um, and so what that is, is basically in order for Microsoft to do the wide breadth of things that they do, they generally rely on smaller companies that are doing little snippets of what they want to do and kind of bring them in the fold, take some of their technology, whatever they're doing, and then use Microsoft's resources to grow that technology and move it forward into something bigger. So what the partner gets is they get access to more funds, they get access to more resources, and what Microsoft gets is they don't have to kind of do work that other people are already doing. So it's not necessarily like buying a company. No, no. It's very much, it's interesting because in a lot of ways, um, a lot of the partners Microsoft actually competes with, mm-hmm. which is a case with K2. They were competitors and they were super strong partner alliance members. Um, so it's an interesting, weird, delicate relationship. But it's not purchasing the company. It's just leveraging each other's resources to try and build something different. Mm-hmm. And typically, because Microsoft is just trying to focus on so many things, it's easier for them to find someone else that specializes rather than them forming a whole separate team to try to do that as well. Okay. And so that's kind of what, that's what we were 
growing and maintaining at the same time. Most of my job was maintaining more than growing the partner alliance, whereas at K2, I was more on the growth side. Meaning reaching out to new people. To new people. That someone else identified, but you were kind of bringing them on. Yeah. And so by the time you graduated, you'd studied business. Had you at that point specialized in marketing? Yeah. So at that point, when I graduated, I graduated with a degree in marketing and entrepreneurship. Oh, that's a, that's a degree that's a, that's a degree, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Which it's a, it's a... And it teaches you, yeah. it's like the basics of how to start businesses? And Pretty like much, legally. yeah. So there's, yeah, there's business law um, classes. There's um, a bunch of case study competition competitions that you have to do with business scenarios. Um, and then there's actually one of the capstone classes is called creating a company where you go through the entire steps. You have to... Um, formulate a group within the class, pitch for funding. Once you actually get hard money, produce the product, sell the product, and then present and how well you, you have pr- made it. You pitch for actual money mm-hmm. and you make an actual product. Yep. And this is all in one semester. Yep. Uh, it, it was, we did quarters. So it was two quarters, which I guess is one semester. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Roughly. Yeah. Maybe it's yeah. longer, but yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. fast. <laughs> yeah. It's quick. Yeah. And <laughs> okay. um, so, yeah, at the end of UW, we did a bow tie company, but um, it was called Duly Knotted. But, um, <laughs> Does it still exist today? No, it could have, but we all went in different directions of jobs and life and all that stuff. But um, Duly Knotted. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I like that. I feel like the hipsters are waiting for it this. Was, Karen, you got to bring it back. It was It was good. It was uh, It was fun doing. I'd never done product design before, so that was fun to do on that side of it and find out how to actually make a bow tie, which none of us knew when we decided to come up with the bow tie company, which is hilarious. Was it Was it men and women in your group? Uh, it was all girls, which was even better. So, um, But yeah, before that, I kind of dabbled in a little bit because I competed in uh, the thing called Startup Weekend my third year of college, um, where basically you show up and there's people from all different disciplines, so developers, designers, general business people all kind of come together. And the goal is just to be able to create something in a weekend. And so you get together, you form small groups, and then you come up with a business idea and you have to create a a prototype and present it at the end, kind of like a hackathon or whatever it is. And so we came up with a random food ordering app called Namon, and uh, there are three developers who are amazing, built, like didn't sleep basically and built it overnight. We did a bunch of marketing testing and presented the app right at the end and ended up winning that, worked on that project for about the next year, got to where the app was going to be launched, and then Grubhub and E24 merged, and the API just got really complicated, and so the app never actually launched. But that was kind of my first dabble into it, and then the creating the company was the next thing that we jumped into. Very cool. Yeah. So based on your work experience and your studies, what were you doing after university? Um, so afterwards, I joined a company called Pyramid Analytics, um, which is hilarious because I hated statistics. The guy who hired me very quickly said that, like, you don't actually need to have an interest in data to work at this company. 
which I always thought was kind of interesting. But because um, you were in marketing, yeah, yeah, and his mindset and a lot of a couple of other people that I've talked to, whereas was for if you are a marketer, you don't necessarily have to understand or like the product that you're selling, which I don't necessarily agree with now, but at the time that was kind of the mindset. So it was a first job. They were paying. It was exciting. So started that. And that was in Seattle still. And that was in Seattle. Um, and so what was your starting role? Marketing coordinator. And what does that mean? So basically, I was the gopher of the com- from, of the marketing team. Um, I helped run basically anything that they needed. So if it was helping set up email campaigns, helping set up social media, helping track progress on um, product sales, learning kind of how the website was working, managing blog content. Um what is marketing? Like, I feel like it's such a common, and I'm sure that's because it can be a lot of different things yeah. depending on the company, but I feel like it's such a common department or industry and, and, you know, we hear so much about it and some people work in marketing, um, but I'm trying to visualize a little bit more clearly what yeah. I should put in the bucket. Um, so, I mean, for marketing overall, it's basically being able to put together content and both for campaigns and um, kind of hard written content that allows you to be able to voice what your product is or your service and allows you to be able to reach the people that you're trying to sell to. How is that different from advertising? So advertising is very much, um, advertising is more, uh, based on written content. Uh, obviously, there's also digital as well, but it's more picking the specific person that you're selling to and directing all of your content towards them. Where marketing is more about creating a full scope of brand voice that you're trying to get into, as well as the specific person that you're actually at the end trying to sell to. So marketing is building the full funnel, where advertising is a small part of that marketing scope to directly reach your final point of sale. So when you're working in advertising, it sounds like you're marketing, you're focused a lot on the digital things like emails and social media. Yeah. I, um, or initially when I was doing stuff previously, I hadn't really been focused on the digital side of it. When I started, one of the first things that they had me do was kind of the education side of it, of me learning Google analytics, Google AdWords, um, Bing ads, those kind of systems to kind of make up for the knowledge gaps that they had. So, so a lot I, of what you did, you learned there. It wasn't stuff you'd learned in school or at internship. No, I'd briefly dabbled in a little bit of Google Analytics when we were working at Namod, just as we did a little bit of A-B testing. Um, but 99% of it was stuff that I had learned or I learned at Pyramid. And how long did you do that job? I was there for a year as a marketing coordinator. And then you stayed there or you um, went somewhere else? Then I shifted and I went to something called, or another company called Odd Dog Media. And that's right after I'd actually joined Remote Year. Oh, right. I remember that. Yeah. That was in Montevideo. Yeah, exactly. Um, so when I started Remote Year, I was doing this whole brand new role of kind of building, I think I created a bunch of new content because we were just launching a new version of the product. And then 
Um, I was also helping create content for the online tutorial. Um, but when you say create content, that means writing about yeah so it was writing content as well as taking old content that we had refreshing it with our new messaging and then pushing that forward and then in some cases actually developing the new messaging for the new versions of the product and that's all like in a written sense or did you do you work with designers you had to do some design Um, i was doing i was doing design as well so throughout this whole college and everything i it was a self-taught um, person with like Adobe Illustrator and Photoshop and all of those kind of things. So I was using those skills throughout all of college. And then as this role, I was both creating the content and then building the actual designs for the content. Okay. Um, and I did that, yeah, up until the end of Montevideo where I randomly got... Which was our first month. Yes. Um, where I got an email from the CEO of Odd Dog, who I'd kept in contact with throughout the years saying that he had a job. How did you know that? would be interesting? Um, he, his aunt um, was in the neighbor of my parents at the time. Okay. And so just through that, and then I had met him for coffee because he started talking about Odd Dog, and I wanted to learn more about kind of the way they approach branding and helping small businesses with SEO and all those kind of things. So we met for coffee um, at one point in time and then just had kind of kept in contact since then. It's amazing how many of my and most people I talk to, like opportunities come from the relationships you have with people, whether it's through like family or friends or like some work or other hobby that you do. You're just talking to people and you kind of keep in touch and you get excited and interested and talk to somebody about something. And then months and years later, either they have an idea or they introduce you to somebody or something. Um But, you know, it's so rare, so rare so far that I've talked to somebody who said, oh, well, I was job hunting and I got on this board and I read this thing and then I sent in my resume and I heard back. Like, really rarely is that the course of action. Yeah. No, I I completely agree. Most of the time I think that your network is actually more valuable than anything else because that's 99% of the way people are getting jobs now and probably will continue to be for the future. So, yeah. Um, so he knew about you and knew what you'd been studying and interested in. Yeah. And reached out because this was his company. Yeah. Yeah. So he's the CEO of Odd Dog. And basically what they do is they are a um, branding and SEO company focused on small business. So their goal is just to make it easier for a mom and pop store to be able to put themselves online and successfully market themselves to other people. And is Odd Dog a pretty small company? Yeah, they, they're they bigger now. Um, but when I joined initially, they were about 15 people. And now I think we, there's 30 to 40. So okay. it's still pretty small. Good amount of growth um, but in a it's, year. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I liked him. I liked kind of what the company was doing. I thought it was interesting the way that they were doing it. So um, starting in BA, I actually switched over from Pyramid to Odd Dog and started working there. But I ended up actually bringing Pyramid over as a customer. So they're actually one of my like primary focuses still, even though I'm not actually working at the company, oh. which is hilarious. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's still incredibly intertwined. <laughs> <laughs> what is your job title? Um, so I am a digital marketing strategist okay. or a specialist. 
specialist, I think. Yeah. Titles. You know the special strategy. Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I basically manage uh, for about five to 10 clients their overall digital marketing, whether it's paid search, SEO, um, website performance. You name it, I kind of do it if it's underneath the digital marketing banner. Is this the project you worked on in Split where you did that kind of... Of the fantasy football? Yeah. 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 Um, so that was actually for Pyramid. Um, and basically once... You had this genius idea <laughs> <laughs> that you wanted to learn oh, all about football. <laughs> yeah. I thought I was being so clever. Um, but yeah, I, I pitched to them basically. Well, okay. So what we wanted was a cool way to show off the software um, because data, data analytics solutions aren't that interesting to the average person. Yeah. Um, so what we were doing is we were brainstorming a bunch of cool ways to kind of show off what the software could do and what kind of story you could tell. And I came up with <laughs> the now, in retrospect, very painful idea, but <laughs> in the moment seemed like a great idea um, thing to do, a fantasy football campaign where we would basically track as a few people – played fantasy throughout the season as they picked their teams, players got injured, all kinds of things happened. We would have different data visualizations and different statistics that we would pull every week or every month and kind of show the story as the seasons went on. At this point in time, I didn't realize how long the football season is, which it is (laughs) very long. Um, But that was kind of the cool and creative way that we came up with to show off the software and then and did it work it worked it did work we got a ton of good traffic um and we got uh and, and it wasn't just old traffic it was a lot of new traffic that people that hadn't actually seen the product before people went to trials people saw demos so it was effective um I, I only teased her because I was her roommate at the time of this either launching or launching. Pitching. Yeah. And so I'd be in the kitchen like baking cupcakes and Taryn's like, I don't care about fantasy football. <laughs> but you won. In our, That's the, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you learned a lot because you, you won in the remote year league and I all did. the guys who actually care about football lost to you and your data. <laughs> uh, that was that was one of the most beautiful, like, this was worth it moments, <laughs> was collecting the $300 pot at the end of the, of the very long rainbow. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It's That's the other cool thing about marketing is that it gives you the opportunity to kind of explore or find out new things about stuff that you typically wouldn't pay attention to. So Mm -hmm. generally I would not have ever delved as deep as I did into the fantasy football world and figured out that stuff. But when you're dealing with customers of all different kinds and shapes and sizes, you start finding out all kinds of things about things you've never, ever thought you would care about. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I definitely had similar, I've had similar experiences working with creative studios because our clients are all very different. And so whether it's like sports apparel or like women's makeup or clothing or online marketing, like you end up 
learning all about them. Because if you have to write about them, you have to consult them on that brand strategy or aesthetic. Like you have to know what it is and who's using it. Yep. So yeah, you end up you end up getting all kinds of information. You're like, huh? All right, now I have this weird niche of like ladies' skincare knowledge. Yep. yep. Okay. I mean, as a woman with skin, you'd think I'd know, but I didn't. <laughs> like, Learn all new things. Not a thing I cared about. Yeah. Um. So that's so that's what you still do. That's what mm-hmm. you do now. Yep. That's uh, every day. That's what I'm doing. I'm looking at website performance and SEO and trying to improve. Our customer clients. experiences. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. Um, have you, and you're going back to Seattle mm-hmm. after this sad last week together, <laughs> uh, and I'll miss hanging out with you and being your roommate. Ditto. This episode is supported in part by Bluffworks. Bluffworks makes clothing designed to empower the journeys of men and women around the world for work, play, and beyond. Their versatile clothes are easy to wear and easier to care for. Machine washable wrinkle-resistant, moisture-wicking, and breathable. They even have pockets, and everything is designed for style and comfort. From suit separates to t-shirts, men and women now have options for a superior wardrobe with a little bit of wanderlust. Get 10% off when you shop Bluffworks using the code MODERNWORK. Visit bluffworks.com. That's bluffworks.com, and use the code MODERNWORK. Thanks for listening. Now back to the episode. My name is Tara Marcus. I am the director of Demand Gen for Pixvana, which is a virtual reality software company. Um, I was living in Seattle and now I'm currently in Lisbon. And yeah, that's me. (laughs) Cool. So I didn't understand any of what you just said your job was. (laughs) Fair enough. What is your job? Buzzwords, <laughs> you know. I'm instantly yeah. feeling very old and confused. <laughs> um, yeah. So basically, for my job, what I'm in charge of is building out basically the lead funnel for our sales team to then go and close deals from. So. I develop different channels that we can kind of go after, whether that's like getting leads from social or getting leads from email campaigns or kind of testing out different areas that we think people might be interested in our product. And then I am in charge of building out kind of these nurture streams that make sure that the leads are ready for when they get passed to our sales team. And then I hand them off and I say, okay, now it's on you. I've done everything I can do go sell, go make money. (laughs) (laughs) And is this uh, business to business or business to customer consumer? Yeah. So it's kind of interesting with this company. Um, It's a little bit of both. So I basically, there's like two streams of Pixvana. One is we sell VR um, training services to large enterprises. So you are a large cruise line, you are having trouble training um, your new hires on the layouts for your restaurants because they can't get on the ships in time. We can build a VR experience that allows them to get trained in the space before they actually get on the ships. So once they're on the ships, they know what they're doing, that kind of thing. Or we also have our own uh, VR creation platform called Spin Studio. 
And that's very much a B2C thing. So I'm going out and I'm looking for other creators or um, internal video teams that are interested in making interactive VR video experiences and trying to get them interested in Spin Studio as users, growing our user base and um, yeah, extending on to actually becoming paid eventually. Um, so it's split. I've, this is the first job I've had that has that split. Normally it's like, you're B2B, you're B2C. But yeah, this is the first one that's kind of a little bit of both. The company makes the VR experiences, like that is the product that is being sold or it, it can be training about VR or other things surrounding it. Yeah, so on the services side, um, the way it works is we call it our, the way we kind of um, talk about it is we VRify your training content. So you come to us and you say, hey, we have this training, it's not quite working. Can you apply what's great about VR to our training? Use our internal production team, which we have a team of, I think, about 10 kind of VR XR creators is what we call them. Um, and they will create the experience and then we help distribute it out to the company. Um, so it's very much kind of like an agency sort of motion, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then on the product side, it's much more kind of like, we'll teach you how to fish. Here's the platform. Here's kind of like Adobe creator. We'll give you some tools on how to use it. Now you create your own experience. You do it from end to end, distribute it, but use Fit Studio to do all of those things. Okay. How did you go from the work you were doing at the end of remote year to this job? Yeah. Um, so there's actually <laughs> a job in between. Not I, thought. I was like, yeah. I feel like this is a multi-part story. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It was a bit crazy. So yeah, got back, um, got back to Seattle, like, went and my job at that time was for the um, data analytics company I showed up for my like first week back in the office I was like okay getting out of this like remote lifestyle thing checking back in how's this gonna go and the day my first day back in the office they fired seven people and I was like oh things must not be going as well as I thought they had at the company while I was out um, and so I started like listening and like hearing all of the, the things that were kind of going on. And I was like, oh shoot, I need to start looking for a job. So I kind of started hitting up my network and my, one of my old bosses, um, was like, Hey, we have this job at this employee scheduling software company. Um, would you be interested still digital marketing, which is what I was already doing then. Um, and so I said, yeah, I'll do an interview, kind of um, went and met with them. They were all really nice, again, still in Seattle. Um, and yeah, turned in my notice like a few weeks later and started that job. Gosh, when is it? I think they started that job in April of 20, when did we get done with remote year? 20? 2017. 2017. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. April, 2017. Um, and yeah, I was loving it. It was a small company again, startup vibe again. So it was, it was a former manager at a different job you'd had before and yeah. they were a new company yeah. and they brought you into the marketing team there. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I loved it for a while. It was amazing. I had kind of, full ownership over the website and building out these different channels. And it was 
going great. And I'd been there for about a little over a year. Um, actually, I think like a year and six months, year, seven months. And one of my mentors doing some cool, exciting things. I would love to just like catch up and like hear what's going on with you. Um, and so we met um, one of the mornings and I was really the uh, like the office was great. The people I was working with are great. But the one thing I was really struggling with was the fact that um, the CEO wasn't very visionary. He was very operational. Um, and I was having a hard, really hard time connecting with like what the company was actually trying to achieve beyond just like our revenue goals for the year. Um, and she was like this new company I'm working for it's in VR. The CEO is like the exact opposite of the person you're describing, like super visionary, super forward thinking. Um, I think you should meet with him and just like have coffee and just like get to know him. He's also like a really connected person in Seattle. So he's a good person to know. Um, and so like, sure. Yeah. I'll meet with him. Um, had coffee with him. It's so funny. They're not funny, but like, it is funny that your friend, this mentor person was just like, you know what? I work at this company. You should come meet the CEO. <laughs> like, it's, No, it is. It, the whole thing was honestly comical in every respect. Like I would like come home to Zach and be like, so <laughs> guess what? I'm now meeting with this guy named Forrest. He's a CEO. I, yeah, it was, it was super is weird. That, I had no, yeah, there were no plans. Because um, I mean, I'm assuming, and I know from talking to you both for the original interview and in general, like you're obviously smart, you're obviously working hard, you do a good job. Um, but it, within digital marketing, do you have like a special skill set that is super valuable, or is it like a plot? Like, what what do you think makes you so useful at your job? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think like definitely demand gen and digital marketing are like still like one of the most useful skills you can have as far as like the marketing skew of operations for sure. Um, I've like knock on wood, never really had a problem with like the skills that I've had trying to find a match when it comes to a job. Like there's always been plenty to do for that. But I think, um, I don't know for me from what people said, it's, it's been more the fact that like, I'm just like game to like take on these like very broad kind of undefined projects and just kind of figure out my way through them. Um, at least that's what Tamara, my mentor kind of mentioned. She was like this thing with this VR company, like it's super like on the edge. Like you're like, we are, we are leading the charge and some there's, there's no rules, there's no guardrails. And like, you feel like you're like the right person to fit with that. I operate much better in that space than like, here's your job. Here's your very defined role. This is what you do. I, that really frustrates me when that is the situation. Um, so I think, I don't know, I think both of those, it's like, I've got the skills, but I've also got like the mentality to kind of go after it, if that makes sense. Oh, it definitely makes um, sense. I mean, I think so, that it's yeah. not, it's not that one is good or bad. Um, oh, I don't know if I froze again. It's not that one is good or bad. It's just, I think, especially if you are looking to work in startups or smaller companies or, or certain departments in a company, you have to be ready to go with like you said, undefined projects where you have to tackle it and figure out how to solve problems. And like, it hasn't been done before either at that company or generally. Yeah. Like, okay, how are, how are we going to do this? Like, you're not hiring me because I know exactly how to do it. You're hiring me because I will try to go find the answer. 
Yeah, exactly. A lot of people don't want to do, and that's also fine. Like there are plenty of companies that have clear cut roles and plans and you can work at those. And then people, you have to have, I don't think it's necessarily, I guess in some ways it's risk tolerance, but some kind of bandwidth for dealing with really unclear situations. Oh, totally. Yeah. It'd be really frustrating, but also I think, you know, if they can be really interesting because you do end up getting to learn about a lot of different things and you have to learn new skills or software or whatever it is. And you end up understanding, like you said, more of what a company is about and what the product is about, because you're not just like, okay, this is clear cut. I'm doing this. Well, in order to solve that problem, you really have to understand everything about it. And like, even just in my experience at Bluffworks, I know that getting thrown around the company, like from partnerships to investment, to production, back to marketing, like I understand so much more of what the company's trying to do, like how our clothes are made, like what are the details that make it unique and what is the company trying to do, which makes my ability to manage the marketing much better because I know how to talk about it. I understand like when production has an issue, like what that issue is. And I, I'm not just like, Hey department, <laughs> like get your stuff together. I'm like, I know exactly what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't have to worry, but also give me your best guess <laughs> of like, when you think this will be delivered. <laughs> um, no, totally. I think, I mean, like, as you can say, like, there definitely are trade-offs. Like, if you're looking for a specialist that has only ever done very certain parts of digital marketing, I am not your girl. Like, you, yeah, you need to find someone else. If you're looking for someone that has kind of dabbled in a lot of things in the space, really get, has a broad understanding, then, like, I'm your person. So there's definitely pros and cons to it. Um, but I skew to the left of Broadway more than that specificity for sure. Yeah. Uh, And what is in in terms of digital marketing, like how would you define what that is and the things that you generally do within that? um, Yeah. I mean, it's, so it's definitely changed for me. Like before at the employee schedule software company and the data analytics company, it was very much like website optimization was my zone. Like how best can we make sure that people are finding what they need to find SEO, um, running campaigns around different audience tracking, um, tons of like data analysis um, around that kind of area. So it was, but it was very much centered around the website. Um, And and that's a lot of, you're looking a lot at like Google analytics, SEO keyword, like you're pretty much just in that world. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I, there would be some asks for like, Hey, can you do this email thing? Cause we need your help for it or like kind of smaller things, but that was my home base. Okay. Um, And then for um, kind of now at Pixvana, it's much more broad. So it's now like we need to reach this audience. Taryn, go figure out what's the best good way to reach them. And website is definitely a part of it, but it also involves like syndicated content channels, events, um, email campaigns, paid social, um, blogging, uh, all kinds of things. So it's, it's more kind of the diversity of the leads that you're generating and trying to really build out a robust pipeline than just like, this is the website, is it ranking well? Are we generating X percent of organic leads every month 
kind of thing. Okay. Um, so yeah. Cool. And do you have certain, like before, you know, that's a lot of Google analytics and keyword research. So do you think like, what are the kind of tools or platforms you use more for this broad diverse channel? Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously like GA will always, it will always be part of my life. It seems (laughs) in one way or another, but, um, no, I, like I now I live much more in like the HubSpot. I personally love like Marketo and those guys because I think they're better tools, but HubSpot is what we use at Pixwana, which is kind of a marketing automation um, system. And then Salesforce is kind of my second home as well, just kind of operating on the sales ops slash um, pipeline review stuff. Um, and then probably a lot of still WordPress and then, um, yeah, then it's like a lot of like little tools, like, I don't know, Asana for project tracking and mainly HubSpot and Salesforce that are really kind of my home bases now. And I know HubSpot has a lot of free training for people, I think online is Salesforce also something very learnable or... Um, <laughs> that's the one I, think, I don't know anything about Salesforce. I've, I've yeah. heard about it a lot, but I don't know anything about it. Yeah. HubSpot, their training programs are amazing. Um, Salesforce is complicated. It, it's, it's hard because it's, um, the way it's set up is so unique to a company. Um, so there's so many different modules and settings and options that really like when you learn Salesforce for your company and you move to a different company, it's going to be completely different. Um, so it's like a hard beast to really get an understanding of like the whole ecosystem. I still think I maybe know, like, I, I think 30% would probably be, um, me thinking highly of my skills on Salesforce. <laughs> there's so much you can do with it, but it's, yeah, it's, it's a crazy tool. And I think in some ways they do that on purpose just because you kind of need them to help you through it because it is so complex. So it's, it's kind of good on their part, making it extra sticky. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a great tool, but it's a complex tool for sure. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I always just think it's interesting when I'm talking to people about their jobs to understand like what are the tools and resources that you use and how many of those are things that a person could learn kind of on their own and to have that skill set available. And then how much is it you have to learn it at the job after you've done it and have experience with it before you can start using it. Yeah. Of course you have to have experience before you use it, but some things you can teach yourself and be like, I understand. Like I've looked at this before. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, I think for Salesforce, it's an interesting trend is that every single company that I've either like helped with in a contractor role or worked for full time, they've always had a Salesforce consultant on the payroll that like helps them through. And I think that's like a very good indicator of like the complexity level of the tool. Yeah. Um, It's just not something that you can ever be like, yep, I'm the person, I'm the champion. I take it on. Like there's always some help needed. So Okay. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So you went from the other job, what, around? Um, um, yeah, I... 2018, maybe? Yeah, I started Pixvana in August of 2018. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you came into the role that you're in now, directly. Yes. And is that 
um, you said it's like you're managing the lead generation. Is that with a team or you're like the person doing it? Yeah. So yeah, Pixana is, it's, it's, yeah. Um, so when I started, um, there was a marketing team, there was, uh, six of us. Um, I was very much focused on the demand and stuff, but there was kind of a sales ops person. There was a, um, sales person, like the actual salesperson, there was kind of that CS role. And then we had my boss who was, is my mentor, um, who's like the VP of marketing. Um, and then come October, um, we kind of had a Hail Mary of like, oh man, the signups really aren't where they are. should be. The product isn't doing as well as we'd really hoped. Like, holy shit, what do we do? Um, and we decided at that point to pivot pretty majorly. Um, and in that pivot, basically I showed up like, I remember it was a Thursday. I don't know why that's like stuck in my brain, but whatever. It was a Thursday. I showed up on a Thursday and my boss was waiting for me, like right outside the office. And I'm like, that's weird. That doesn't normally happen. And she, was, <laughs> she doesn't escort you in every day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is strange. Um, she's like, let's get coffee. And I was like, okay. Um, and then she was like, oh, the CEO is also joining for coffee. And I was like, okay, like, what did I do? I must have done <laughs> like Karen. We need to talk about the yeah, money you've been seeing. I've clearly messed up somewhere and something, something's wrong. Um, and anyway, they're like making small talk on the way to the cafe, and I'm just like, <laughs> what the heck is happening? Um, anyway, so we get there and they're like, So, got some big news. We are completely pivoting with the company, we are moving away from this like spin studio, except at that point, we were 100% like creator platform adobe sort of vibe um focus um we're moving away from that and we're doing this like training services motion um where we're really focusing on like the enterprise customers and in that pivot basically everyone from your marketing team is going to be let go except for you are you game are you ready to like take that on is that something that you're like okay with and I was like, I just joined <laughs> literally two months ago. Like, what do you, what do you mean? Um, anyway, so that was a bit of a moment. I took some pause and was like, uh, I guess like, yeah, sure. Let's like see how this goes. Um, and so the end of the year was spent kind of like sunsetting a bunch of things. I learned how to like turn off a bunch of different programs and sunset users and things that you never really think that you're going to have to do. Um, sunset being a term for like turning a lovely term for like, yeah, leave. We can't support you. With that. Yes, sunset. <laughs> it's like the best. Yeah. It's sunset, you know, yeah. Yeah, business is so with like softening terms, like pivot. Pivot is like, oh, we're just pivoting. It's like, no, people are losing their jobs. Like, this is a major thing. Like, yeah. So <laughs> we should say that when people like retire, like they just pivoted and they go yeah, to the nursing home. We're like, it's fine setting <laughs> to this new housing situation. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's, yeah. Set <laughs> okay. I learned people can throw um, that term around. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was that was kind of how I spent the rest of October slash November. What do you think? Just 
to talk briefly about VR since that's not something that I know a lot about, but I also know is getting only bigger and bigger. So, you know, I'm just curious to hear your perspective on, well, first of all, just for the sake of making sure we've defined it clearly, like what is VR? Yeah. That's and it has like several names, right? Like yes, yeah. so virtual reality, augmented reality. You said XR experience. Um, so XR is like extended reality. It gets oh. so complicated. So okay. yeah. Um, yeah, I'll give you the, what I come, come to understand as a thing. So extended reality is really like this like big bucket. It's like the Uber bucket that all of these other things kind of fit into. My CEO loves it. That's like his term. It's like, we do XR. Like our, our mission at our company is we're realizing the potential of XR storytelling. Like that is our, that is our Uber focus. Um, within that, there is virtual reality. And that is where you are completely immersed in a virtual environment that's typically done with a headset. Um, then there's AR augmented reality, which is you're still in your realistic space, but you've got virtual elements overlaid. So think Clark Pokemon go, or like the Ikea furniture app where you can like see what that chair looks in your space. So you're still very much aware of where you are. Um, but you get to kind of have things overlaid, but you can't interact with them. And then there's MR, which is kind of mixed reality. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's where you kind of get into like the magic leap and hollow lens space. And that's, and you are still kind of in your actual environment, but you can now interact with these virtual elements. So it's kind of the overlaying of the two, if that makes sense. Um, and then, yeah, yeah, those are, those are the key ones. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah. And it seems my default is to assume that any of these would require like pretty advanced technology and, and advanced skill sets to create them. Like you have, you know, graphic design, it's like 2D, then you have yep. 3D and then you move into these because it's not just a three-dimensional thing, but that you see it's a three-dimensional thing that you can move within in some way. Yep. Um, but on the other hand, I know, I mean, I remember my studio in New York had some like Oculus VR stuff that they were playing with when I was there maybe six years ago. So I know the technology. Oh, is- they were trailblazers. Yeah, yeah, it was a big deal. I like yeah. so got it out and everyone nerded out really hard and we worked on a project with VR and it was like, whoa, look at us. And I, yeah, I try, I remember trying on the, the Oculus headset and they had a, VR of being on like one of the top floors of a new building in downtown and you could walk through it, but you could also walk out of the, like, just like walk through the window, like just out of the building from like the top floor in downtown Manhattan in this VR. So you're standing in the middle of your office, but then you walk out and you're like over New York city, like a hundred or something feet floors in the air and I remember feeling so nauseous and like height sick and taking it off and just thinking like that was very surreal and uncomfortable <laughs> yeah see what we've learned is there is good VR and there's bad VR and that is bad VR <laughs> like wow this is effective it feels very real I think I'm gonna die or throw up <laughs> I don't want to be like you this is, yeah <laughs> up here but it is not <laughs> um but yeah, so the technology has been around for a while. So, you know, what is like, what is 
obviously you're working with probably pretty big customers if it's a the corporate side, you know, like a cruise line that is, yeah. is yeah. something like this. But like what level of investment is it for somebody to have something like this at all? Yeah, it's super interesting. So it's really, um, it's really, really evolved. With VR, like last year slash kind of the year before, it kind of went, it, it was like super hyped up. Things were going like rocket fire. Tons of VC money was kind of getting invested in it. And then it kind of went and started dipping into what's called like the trough of disillusionment where people start saying like VR is dead, it hasn't met expectations. And that's kind of the the space where I kind of jumped into Pixwana was where we were very much at that bottom of the trough of disillusionment, um, which was a really interesting time to see it. But there has been some crazy innovations with it. So it's kind of cool. Like if you are a creative person that just wants to explore with a medium, there are some really reasonable like low cost options now that did not exist a year and a half ago. Um, and Oculus is really kind of pioneering it. Their Oculus Go sells for like $200. It's a really good headset. I travel with it. Never did I think I would be a person traveling with a VR headset, but wow. I like that. <laughs> Use it for um, work or you're just like, yeah, for work. It's like, I'm going to go yeah, I'm not an hour. <laughs> I'll see you guys later. I mean, I'm going to Tokyo or whatever. Like, what do you mean? It's really for work just to like see what people are creating and experiencing. But, um, um, but yeah, so you can like buy a headset for not a ton of money. And then like the type of VR that we at Pixmana focus on is VR video. Um, so you can use a 360 camera to do that. There are high end ones that sell for thousands of dollars, but you can also get like a Ricoh Theta for a couple hundred dollars. And shoot around, get some pretty high quality stuff and create an experience on your own with online stitchers and kind of put it together with like Adobe tools or whatever it is you normally use. Um, And it's totally doable. There's tons of kind of how to's around it. So it's become a much more approachable medium, but that's only been true for the last like year before that is not true at all right um like with maybe five hundred dollars you could get this 360 type camera basic level uh you need the vr headset and then find the tools online but with five hundred dollars and time to practice you could actually start making vr experiences totally that's totally i mean that's not nothing but that's also you know a very i think reasonable investment of money if you're interested in creating different things and um yeah, making something like that, whether it's for personal use or to develop the skill to to do with work. Oh, um, for sure. Yeah, it's and like and that's the thing is like whenever we talk to someone, they all assume like VR must be so expensive. Right. And it's like yes, there is some VR. Like if you do the CGI game engine stuff, like you're gonna. I mean, anything can be expensive. Dollars exactly. Yeah, you can make anything more expensive. Yeah. Like what? What do you want to pay? We'll make it that price. Like just like we have now. Right. Um, but yeah, like you can really, it, it can make it a lot more like approachable. And the coolest thing for me is like I I I'm okay with technology, but like with this, it's like when I first joined Pixelana. Oculus Rift was the only headset that was out and you had to set up these like um, sensors and like walk around your computer and send up like a boundary, which I was terrible at. I was always like setting it up wrong and like there were so many cables and you needed like 
a predator level laptop that and that itself costs like two thousand to four thousand dollars just for like the gaming laptop. So it's just like super <laughs> predator level laptop, and I'm like, I'm scared already. Right? No, it's yeah. <laughs> I have a Mac. <laughs> yeah, you can. Yeah, it was. So like that's where I like joined in, and I was like, this is really clunky. Like this is a lot of investment to like ask someone to do. Right. A few months after I joined, the Oculus Go was like out and people could use it and buy it and all the sensors were built into the headset so it's just like you put it on and you're in um and like that's a huge leap so it's really interesting I mean I do think eventually we'll get to the point where it is like you're just wearing glasses and now you're like in these different spaces or maybe eventually to like what some people think of like contact lenses I don't no, but like, <laughs> I think, I think it is getting smaller and more compact and better over time. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a really interesting thing to just like see the evolution, like a year basically of time that I've been at the company. You have a startup, what we're calling Dara, um, which is this basically like AI slash a little bit machine learning solution that helps sales organizations um, not only track their sales calls, but also train their salespeople on how to be better salespeople by using, recording their calls anyways, but 99% don't actually have time to listen back and actually hear like what went well, what didn't go well. And so Dara kind of does that for you. Um, and then reports back and says like, Hey, John should really, John hasn't been using this word where Jim uses it every time. And Jim has been closing X number of deals more than John has. So maybe he should think about incorporating that word or that statement or not asking that question or whatever it is. We're really focusing on questions to start because that's like the most approachable. Um, But yeah, that was kind of the Uber idea. (laughs) And did you, so, you know, I think it's interesting because I think a lot of people, when they think like, I want to start a company or I want to make something, they think about, the thing that they most want to make. It's more of like, I think it would be fun to make, you know, bluff works. Stefan was like, I want to make better pants. Like, of course it was solving a problem that he had with a product yeah. that he needed and wanted, but there yeah. was still a certain level of like, it will be fun to be an entrepreneur by making this product that I think I want. Now I'm assuming that this is a product that would help you see it would help in your job, but like, do you oh, have yeah. a personal connection to it or was it? Oh, yeah. I mean, for fun? sure. Like, him and I both come from the marketing space, him more than me as kind of a product marketer, um, which is an interesting role. It's like very much kind of about how to position a product in a space, but also working with the sales team to make sure that they understand the product and know how to sell it. Um, And we constantly would be running into the situation where we would be hearing the salespeople going through their motions and doing their calls and they would either not be kind of sticking to the messaging that had been uh, created or practiced or whatever um, and kind of going a bit off script, which is fine in some cases, but they would be either maybe missing some key points or we would be finding later on in like deals that they hadn't asked key questions that would have really either Um, said, okay, this deal isn't going to work from the beginning, or it was something that was really critical and we found delayed things or made processes go slower. Um, So this is a pain point that like I had dealt with from the fact of like, as the lead gen person, I had 
gotten this lead. I had nurtured it. I had made sure that it was as high quality as it was and given it to the salesperson. And then by then not asking the right questions or also just like things happening um, that would be improved if kind of sales training was better, um, that lead would then get lost or like the deal would not close or whatever it was. So there was a frustration on my side for sure. Um, and then for him, it was mostly around like he spends all this time creating this messaging positioning and whatever. And it's like, is that actually getting communicated out to people? How do you know, unless you're literally sitting there right next to every salesperson and like on every call, which is impossible. How right. do you actually know that this is something that's happening? And how um, do you guys, um, like, what's the approach on the AI machine learning? Like, how do you even, do you do either of you know how to do that? Or are you no, just looking no, for no, no, no. <laughs> Like, how does that yeah. sound so, so tech? Like, so, yet again, I'm like, ooh, fancy technology. But like, maybe you're just like, no, there's this website. <laughs> and you just plug it in and it does it. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> like, yeah, no. So that, that was definitely the biggest hiccup was like, this is an awesome idea. We would totally buy this, but like neither of us know how to do this stuff. Um, and so it was like, okay, immediately we have to like find someone that does. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like don't let that get in your way of starting yeah. this company. That's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. So we found this guy that Mike and you through kind of his network that was kind of game to explore as a side project to begin with. Um, and he kind of dabbled in some machine learning stuff as I'm finding most developers are at least like trying to explore what it means just because it is kind of the next frontier of tech. Um, and we were like, okay, let's, let's just see, like we know Microsoft and IBM and these like really large companies, Amazon and Google all have these like out of the box AI machine thumb of what we want. So we don't have to like know everything and kind of jump into it. And that was kind of our first experiment. So with this developer, we kind of built a little bit of a demo. We got him a few scripts that we either found on YouTube or Micah and I wrote up scripts of like what we've heard from sales calls and then recorded ourselves saying them um, and gave them to him. And we were like, here, this is not a ton of data, but it's some for you to kind of train these models and see what the heck can happen. Um, and so that was kind of our first test and we had some relative good success with using Microsoft's, um, Lewis program, um, that, <laughs> that, um, was able to kind of highlight these like key queries or key questions that we were kind of tr trying to make sure that we could see in a conversation can it find were these questions asked? That was our like big hypothesis was like, is it possible for us to find these unique questions asked in a conversation? Um, and we got pretty close with just using Lewis. And so we built this like very rough demo around it. But the, the key thing that became really obvious was like, okay, if we really want to do this, like you need massive amounts of data. Like you just, you need like a huge, huge repository of conversations and, and recordings and stuff to be able to perform to really test and or potentially build partly your own solution. So that's kind of the stage that we're at now is like, we've presented the demo to a few companies. They've been really intrigued and they're game to kind of do pilots with us. And what that means is they're going to record their sales calls give those to us. And then we're going to use that to kind of train Dara on whatever kind of mix of solutions we want. And then they'll be able to use 
her. We, we started talking to her as a person um, <laughs> and be able to test out and see, can they really get the insights they need? Um, and then hopefully expand from there. But we're still very much in like the early stages of that, but that's kind of where we're at. That's amazing. I don't know how you're even doing that. Um, <laughs> so I, is this the kind of thing that like, if someone was interested in, you have a website, you have information about it that I can share on the show notes and like, what would be, you know, so, so you said you're talking to a few companies, but it's like, at a certain point, will you be doing a round of investment or you'll like have like a beta thing that people can just join or how does it, like, what's the next step? Yeah. Yeah. So building a website is for sure. That's like the number one thing that Mike and I are kind of working on right now. Um, but as far as kind of next steps, it's definitely like once our goal is to lock down like three to four pilots, we've got two secured right now, um, to just like get as much data because we don't want to over promise and actually find out like this doesn't actually work. Like, cause that would be terrible. So that's kind of where we're at now. But if we, if we can get the proof that we need, I think that the, like getting a small round of VC would probably be the direction that we want to go. Mostly, honestly, just to get our developer on this full time, which Mike and I would probably continue to do for a while, but getting the developer on full time would be awesome. Um, so that's as far as we've really thought about it. Um, but yeah, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, you have to kind of test and prove and test and prove and exactly. Yeah. Going or you're like, Oh, that's it. Yep. And we're, yeah, we're pivoting, <laughs> but I mean, it's a great idea. And it's, you know, you, you, I was talking to Jono and also other people, but it's like, when you do things like this, it, you can look at some things as a failure, but you can also just say like, well, you learned certain things, right? Like you inevitably are learning a lot about sales or learning about AI and machine learning or learning about running your own company or, you know, like you're learning about, I mean, not that you didn't already do marketing and sales, but like to bring people onto a thing that you're trying to test is like a whole different. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And like if you pitch for investment, like that's another learning process. And so I think it's the kind of thing that it never hurts to have tried it out a little bit. Like if exactly. all, tried. yeah, no, that's oh, totally it. Some it's, money. I mean, like for me, like it's work, but it's also like super fun. Like it's, it's, it's like a blast to like, just like experiment and try and like not, and like, it's, it's on you to kind of come up with the ideas and figure it out and brainstorm with your like few other team members that you may have. And it's, I don't know, there's like some very cool, freedom about it it's terrifying but it's also really fun so yeah as long as it stays in that realm and doesn't become like a slog which uh, it's not always gonna be enjoyable but like it's it's the the learning has been really cool so yeah that's awesome so you're working remotely for Pixvana and you're working remotely with your other teammates on this project so yep your life is virtual Uh, so much zoom and webex and <laughs> call conferencing tools it's insane um so yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's i mean yeah i i very much value getting off my computer but i also am grateful that technology does enable oh, me gosh, to do yeah. so much with so many different people in different places it's like a little double-edged sword but it's pretty amazing um for sure my boss is is now like being like k taren at 
1 p.m. Seattle time. Like, I do not want to see you online. Like, you have to be offline doing something. You didn't move to Europe to just be like working all the time, whatever. And I'm like, I really appreciate that. Like, thank you for calling me out because, (laughs) and I, yeah. So that's that's that literally happened last week, and I was like, noted. (laughs) Point taken. So yeah, yeah. I really appreciate when people have good boundaries and like respect your boundaries. I mean, that increasingly I think has become a major priority for me in work and life and relationships and everything like, you know, and in working remotely can be really like, that's one of the great things about it is it's flexible. And sometimes you do want to work at night on a project and that's fine. But also having people who aren't expecting that kind of crazy all hours vibe. I know like that's something I've, I've really appreciated about Stefan is like, he is super involved with his family and like he might get up early and work sometimes, but most of the time the working hours for the team are like, 10 to five or six on weekdays like that Eastern, like that is when people work. And unless it is actually a crisis, like you're just not expected to spend your whole life working. And yeah, you can create, you can create company cultures around that. Even if you're a startup, even if you're, you know, stressed out, even if lots of things are happening, like it realistically probably doesn't need to require 24 seven attention. And you will just burn out as I've learned personally from experience <laughs> if you do that all the time. <laughs> no, totally. And I think, I don't know, like you, you probably have experienced this much like more than I'm because you've been doing this obviously longer of like the remote thing. But for me, it's been really hard. It's like getting that Slack message and yes, it's slightly outside of my work hours, but I'm still awake. I'm still by my phone. So like, should I not just message it? And it's like, no, you shouldn't. And I know that, but also right. like, it's, it's so, it's so hard. It's like, don't click the app. Like you, yeah. that thing is like, if I, if I, if it's a weekend, if I'm on vacation or it's not working hours, like just do not open my work email. Do not open Slack. Like, yes, it's on my phone and computer, but just like, I am the person who clicks there. So yeah don't click it because once you click it, it's like, it's now in your, like, I can't think of how many mornings I've woken up or been going to sleep thinking about like the next email campaign that we're working on. Oh, totally. Saw somebody write something and I'm like, you idiot. Like, why did you check? You're not, now you're just going to be thinking about it until you go to sleep in the moment you wake up. And it's really not that important. <laughs> you did this to yourself. No, it's, it's so true. Yeah. One of the biggest things I keep trying to tell myself is that when I read articles or like life hacking or whatever things are like the most successful people do X. And it's always like the most successful people don't use their phones after 9 PM. And like technology isn't in the bedroom and like this and that. And I have moved away in the past year. Like I don't use my computer in bed. I don't work in bed. Like nothing happens in my bedroom that isn't just like relaxing, like reading or something like that. I don't even really watch like TV. I like try to do it somewhere else. Um, and at first when I read and heard those things, I was like, yeah, well, of course, like you're a really important person. So you can set those kinds of boundaries. I'm like, yeah, no, no, you clown. They're important and successful because they have set those boundaries and they're not like on their, you know, like it's, it's, it's the opposite direction of what yeah. you yeah. expect. Like <laughs> people who do really well are the ones who get this and manage it. So that's the lesson that I'm working on. <laughs> Of course, I will follow up to get all of the information on the show notes so that people can follow up and uh, see more about Pixvana, learn about your startup if they're interested, see what you're up to with travels. Check out the full show notes for this episode and both interviews with Taryn on our website, modernworkpodcast.com. 
You can also find more episodes where I interview people I've met around the world and learn about their work in various industries, from consulting to filmmaking to software development and more. This podcast is supported by listeners and friends via Patreon. For more information, visit our site, modernworkpodcast.com. If you enjoyed Taryn's interview, please let us know and pass this episode on to a friend. Thanks so much for listening.